Chats from the Blog Cabin. Your favorite podcast is here. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Chats from the Blog Cabin. You know, the show where I invite people virtually into a blog cabin to chat about life. You know who I am. I'm Melissa and I'm your host. Today we're chatting with Doug and Doug has this book. I mean, guys, if you want to read a book about boxing, about people with special needs, everything, this is the book for you. So, Doug, first tell us who you are and then talk about your book. Okay. Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Any chance I can get the word out. Uh, it's a pretty passionate subject for me. So, uh, I'm a family doctor uh, for 30 years and, and um, a very large part of my practice throughout my years in uh, treating uh, patients was those with autism. So I have a special connection um, with both the patients with autism and their parents. And, and I'm not sure, sure what that, how it connected or I connected with them so much, but I had a large following of other partners, that the patients would transfer to me and I just enjoyed them so much, um, especially the kids and even had those, you know, some one with a savant with a special skill. It was just very intriguing, challenging cases, great people. And so that's kind of my story as a family doc. But prior to being a family doc, I was uh, um, a master's degree in exercise science. Actually, even prior to that, I used to work with boxers in the late 80s, early 90s and uh, in nutrition and exercise. And I, my brother was a pro fighter and I know boxing very well. I know the bad part of the sport. It still continues. It's a horrible sport. Um, um, not that the people are horrible. Some are, um, but people are used as gimmicks, exposed. They're not protected. It's it's terrible. And so there's another passion of mine, which I won't explain now because it's a part of the book that I don't want people to have to get to the end to understand that we just talked about. But those passions were put together as a story in my head for ten years that rolled around was to put, you know, what was the question in my mind always? What was what happened if someone with autism? wanted to be a professional fighter? Would they allow it to happen? And obviously that's not an easy thing to answer because um, we have two MMA fighters right now with autism, but I'm not sure where they are on the spectrum. And what if they are on the spectrum where their their autism is pretty severe? It's it's a big question. Can you allow that person to do it? And Noki has is a character in this book who has uh, is pretty severe with his autism. However, his skill is, his unique skill is, He's always been involved with boxing, so because his father was a trainer, and uh, and he's watched every fight a million times over, as those with autism will do. They'll watch videotapes, some will watch movies, some will watch tapes, and he will watch every boxing fighter he's ever seen, and he could become them in any moment. So he's actually athletic enough to become any fighter he wants to be, and that's how this kind of story starts. But the story is important. I'm not using – it's very important to me that I didn't want to use – make Noki a – a gump or a rain man or something that's more of a caricature of uh, autism. I, I didn't want him to change. And so you'll see that in the book. If everybody, ha everybody has to realize that we place limitations on people with autism, no matter where they are on the spectrum. And I think you can't underestimate or understand that where they can go. It's up to them. Uh, that was important for me to show in this book. So before we get to talking more about the book, talk about the autism spectrum, because you can be on the low side and the high side. So t tell people what to look for for autism or how they relate to people, because I know it's it's like a people. I think the more we talk about it, the more we normalize it in society. Well, we should normalize it because the bottom line is we still don't fully understand it. It is a layered 
uh, uh, syndrome in a sense that, you know, more people are being uh, realizing they were probably on the spectrum, uh, just like Elon Musk admitted he was on the spectrum. So the bottom line is it's not an easy thing to say it's X, Y, Z, the determined or diagnosed by a blood test. It is not. Usually at age two or three, there could be some communication and social uh, uh, issues coming up and you can pick, hey, there's something going on there. We used to old age, in the old days, oh, that's a quirky kid. And that may be part of it too. And then the spectrum goes in from, you know, uh, severity. And so some really have very poor communication skills, uh, very poor social skills. Some are self-harming. Others are just, um, it's just a little bit off and can't, some of the stimuli bother them and, and some it's not noticeable at all. And so I think we have, a it, it grew, the spectrum grew tremendously. So it's not an easy thing now to say, well, one, well, what we do know is this, one person with autism is one person with autism. Everybody's different. Um, everybody, you know, uh, shouldn't be judged because of that term. And that's why it's a very, still not a great term. Um, and it's very tough sometimes for the people who are taking care of them because they may, some may need care forever and some are totally fine. So um, you, you go into carrying a room as me as a physician with a patient with autism, it's a blank slate. You don't, you don't know what you're going to get. And then all your job is to be an adjunct and to help them. But it's more common and, and causes under, you know, genetic, sometimes hereditary, you know, some combination of the both. Um, but I, I just... Um, you know, I just think it's one of those things we just don't really have a still a great grasp, and yet society mm -hmm. still puts limitations on these type of people. It's a, it's another way of marginalizing people, and I think I wanted to point that out in the book um, because you'll realize Noki was much more in charge when mm -hmm. at the end than you thought. So, yeah, for sure. Now, why did you decide to pair Noki with a little person? Well, that's that's a it's a it, it was so I have in that book. So many experiences in that book, some of my experiences in life in this boxing world, right? It's a very dark underbelly. Doctor, people are used and abused in so many ways. I can't even explain how if, um, bad it is, right? And so experience after experience I put in that book, I lived as for either my brother being a professional fighter or me working with other professional fighters in Houston, where I based this book, I saw these things happen. So, um, for example, there's another character, Limpy, who has a limp. Well, that's a friend of mine. I knew that, uh, that gentleman, um, and he was real. Um, um, Bug is what you talk is the person you talk about, and that's more. It will be discovered at the end why. But I think it's also important as a little person too that uh, there was a connection. That's why it was a connection between him and Noki because they kind of understood the limitations that. There would be both being put on. There was a connection there that was un, unspoken, and that was important for me to show because I think we do the same thing with with little people. And so um, it, this book has a lot of inclusivity, but there was a method to that madness, and it wasn't just okay. Let me just throw all these characters in. No, that's not you know that's not mm -hmm. true. Uh, it was important to get this move the story along. Something is revealed at the end will make sure it truly understandable. Um, but then some of those characters, a lot of those characters, I know personally or knew personally. Oh, that is so cool. Yep. I love that. So let's talk about boxing for a minute because yep. you threw some great names out there. I mean, every one of those names, I'm, my husband's a big boxing fan. So, <laughs> and so I knew like Marco Antonio Barrera, Oscar yep. De La Hoya, yep. Tyson, and yep. you were throwing references. And then I had to go look up some of the references because of some of the things that you say in the book. Like you, like it, for instance, when um, the dad is telling Noki to do something like, yes. like one of the fighters, I had to go look it up. 
So these, so here's the the thing that's so cool about this putting this connection together, right? So I really am a fan of boxers and boxing. I, I think part of me is, uh, um, uh, it's it's a conflicted because it's a physician the damage they take. And my brother, who was a pro and a very good top ten pro in the '80s, has some memory loss. So I know this issues with this sport, right? But the art of this sport and the great fighters, I wanted to pay homage to them. Some no one ever heard of, and some I actually worked with. I was in when Mike Tyson was fought my best friend. I ran in the ring to jump on his back, so and I was pulled back or, or called back from the corner. So I know Tyson. Tyson's first professional fight as a, was on my brother, him, my brother were co-main events. So I just I just go way way back um, with all these guys, but I wanted to show that styles makes fights. People don't realize that is that um, you can be a phenomenal fighter, but if the wrong style connects with you, um, you may lose. And so if you if your opponent was able to connect with the style that would destroy you, I don't care how good you are, you just can't defend yourself against that style. Well, who would know that? Noki would know that because he's seen every single fight seven million times. He would know what person to become. So guys from Willie Pep in the old days who would get could move so well to Orlando Canizales could move so well, Mayweather. And then you have these other guys who can go through people like Joe Frazier and and Tyson. And then there's other guys that are amazing in just defense and their head movement with Wilfredo Benitez. And I know all, I mean, I just watched those fighters myself. I saw a lot of these fighters. And I think it's an amazing, people think, I'm not a huge uh, – I know MMA has some of this as well. I get that um, and because some are strikers, some are do, do this and do that. Boxing to me is different. I don't think boxing is as brutal. It can be, especially the the unregulated fights, which I, I show a lot in this book. But I think when you have phenomenal fighters – I think there's a, sh a series on um, Showtime now, now about, about the, the years when Duran fought – Leonard and Hagler and Hearns, those four fought the, uh, each other. Those were amazing fighters and amazing fights. That was the art of boxing. That's what in the heyday. So I used people that was my heroes, Alexis Arguello. I met a lot of these guys. I met Alexis Arguello. I met all, uh, he was my hero going up. My dog was named after him. I, I just know all these fighters. Maybe part of me was Noki actually, but uh, I just knew a lot of these fighters. So I wanted to be have an homage to that. But I definitely do want to glorify boxing, and I show the underbelly of this sport um, and the stuff that you think, oh, that doesn't happen. That all happens. Everything I showed. Wow. I just love that. So right now we're going to go to a brief commercial, and then we'll be right back. Chats from the blog cabin. Enjoying this episode? Leave a review now. Dear Mr. President, and finally, Madam Vice President. Dear President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris, congratulations on winning the election. One concern I have is thinking about all those families who got separated. One worry I have is people are dying from COVID-19. People think the vaccine is here, so everything is fine. One thing you should know about kids my age is that we have questions and want answers. If I was in charge like you, I would keep in mind kids can do a lot more than you could ever imagine. If I was in charge like you, I would visit local schools to see what kids need. Poor people should have nicer houses and more food. We should make clean energy more accessible to the average citizen. I would work hard to keep people safe. I would stop the nonsense. What will you do with the power you have 
now. And that is all about being a voice for kids. So we are back. So why did you try to transition from being an MD to writing this book? Because it, right before we started talking, you talked about how this was a passion of yours. Well, I, I, this is my sixth book. I've written uh, uh, two others. One was called The Placebo Chronicles, and that was published by Random House. I wrote The Diary of a Drug Rep years ago, and then I've, I've written this. I wrote three others in an, in an area, a niche that I do in primary care called direct primary care. So I'm always writing. Uh, the way I write also is I, I actually see things when I write. Like So I hear the voices and I hear it's very maybe I have some stuff too going on, but I write, I definitely write as I see it. I saw this. I can um, picture every one of the thing, uh, every one of the chapters in this book. So I, I practiced medicine for 30 years. I actually sold my practice and, and semi-retirement right now to do some of the things that I am passionate about. One was getting this book out. I actually think this book is uh, a really my, my favorite book. I think it's a really great book. Um, my son, who's actually a, a writer in L.A., actually, and uh, I am very small percentage, but he did the screenplay for this. And so that's being shopped around now because as you read this book, you obviously can tell this is a lot of dialogue and actually mm -hmm. would flow well into a movie. So we, we're having some discussions now, which is nice. And hopefully that'll move to that level. Cause I also, I think this will portray uh, someone with autism in a different way. I think people will have a sixth sense or usual suspects moment at the end when they realize what they're reading may not be exactly what they thought they were reading or watching. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and it's a fun thing. I, it's funny. I, I had, uh, uh, and this is no disrespect, but there was a, someone who was, um, says, listen, I may interview, but I have lots of books coming by. I'm like, yeah, great. You don't have to do read me, you know, read this book. But this book reads quick. A lot mm -hmm. of books are long and thick and somewhat boring and great. Fine. This is quick. You can finish this in a couple hours and, and feel good about it and think about it for mm -hmm. a while. And especially at the end, I think you'll be thinking a lot about it. So that's an important point to me as well. And a plus, if you get Kindle Unlimited, you can listen to the book while you're doing other things so you're not stuck just sitting there reading it so that let me ask you about that because i don't i've not done the audible for that and so that must be a kindle will read it itself is that mm -hmm. what happened yep yep kindle will read it i've debated here's my debate on doing audible i've been talked about to do that and i'm like you know because there's different voices i have and i wouldn't want to i don't know how i'd want to do that I, w I actually don't know how I wanted that. So I've been debated. I guess you can read it by Kindle. And that's interesting. So uh, hear it by Kindle. I, I've toyed with, I think about that some more. <laughs> so you said your, your screenplay is being shopped around. Do you have a particular person in mind to play Noki? Yeah. So Noki, I do not. And so bug, I, my Peter Dinklage is my, one of my favorite actors, game of Thrones, actually mm -hmm. elf, things like that. And I, it, I have no connection to Peter Dinklage. We are trying, but I, he is the the person. He they're all busy, but he is the person that would be. This would win him an Oscar. Trust me, because actually, Bug is a main character in this book, if not the main character. Actually, it could have been named Bug. So I would hope um, the person that does Noki um, has to know has to know how to box because or have boxed before because it'd be very noticeable. These styles are so different. Um, but they, the people, who, there has to be authenticity to it. He's got to be able to box like Muhammad Ali, then box like our, our Alexis Arguello, then box like Orlando Canizales, then box like 
um, some of these other uh, fighters that I mentioned, which I think are over 20 different fighters uh, and different styles. So um, I think what's really cool about that too is that people don't know that uh, sometimes you people, well, if you have a losing record, that's almost advantageous to get fights that you shouldn't be able to get because they want to use your record mm -hmm. to get to build their record up. So uh, that's bizarre. That's absolutely 100% true. Yes, there were fighters or professional losers. He's mentioned in the book. That's absolutely true. Bruce the Mouse Strauss. He fought as his brother. He fought his brother. He fought twice in one night. He fought in different names. He shaved his head. Everything different. That's mentioned in the book. The stuff that goes on in this unregulated sport because there is no governing body is bizarre. And when you are in a boxing gym, it is like you are transported in time. Still today, you would not believe some of the things that are said, how raw, how much you can get in trouble, how much you can get hurt, how much. It's just unbelievable experience that you would not think it's the same as 50 years ago. It's exactly the same. And I love the fact that in your book, you actually don't use the cuss words. You like use the dollar sign and other things. Was there a particular reason why you did that? Well, here's the thing. The debate was, I start right off the, the bat with something like that. I think the first sentence, because here's the thing. I did not want to, um, I did not want to play down what it's like. It is raw in a boxing gym. Mm -hmm. If I mean, I, I, okay. So I worked, with professional fighters. I got, I used to be, uh, uh, you know, sports medicine trainer. So I thought I was, I had fought in college. I wanted to be a pro, not nearly good enough. I realized I could, I didn't like getting hit that much. It was not fun. And I was not nearly good enough to be a pro. So I was hired by what was called the Houston Boxing Association, which what this gym is named is kind of in the book is patterned after. And I was with sports medicine, exercise, nutrition. I had to work with these fighters. And let me tell you, it, everybody in that gym was from very, destitute areas around the world and uh there was all colors um and all different people all different backgrounds and my job was to get them to go running or whatever there was more fights people wanting to fight me <laughs> uh, roger May mayweather and i had multiple times they had to break us up now he was the uh he's the uncle of he passed away but he's the uncle of floyd mayweather and Roger was champion at that time, and Roger hated my guts. And there was many a time we would get into a spat, and, and and he would say some of the most inappropriate things I would never repeat here. But that's what boxing was. And let me tell you, it was life or death and that in that training area, and you don't mess around. And, yes, there's curse words everywhere. So if I play that down, then I'm not authentic. I did So I, my, my compromise was to put dollar signs, and so you know what the word was, but I, I truly I didn't really say the word. But it is raw. Yeah, it definitely is very raw. So when did the idea to start this, to write this book come from? Where, when did it come from? Where did it come from? And when did it come to you? It's funny because 10 years, it's been rolling on my head for 10 years and I probably finished it over the last year. But one of the things that was, it, I really, uh, and I show this in the book too, the intimidation factor between fighters, it's really scary. I'll give you my example, because I remember when my best friend, Lou Severis, fought Mike Tyson, even at the weigh-ins, um, in the middle of the ring, the stare down, I don't know about anybody else, but when Tyson stared at me and I was in the middle of the ring, I almost lost bowel control, right? It's very intimidating. And his his base at that time of guys, uh, henchmen, week before the fight we're all together almost and if we contacted them it was a 
in your face kind of uh, I'll intimidate you and it can scare you. Right. I mean, so I, I always had thought if someone had didn't really great, not great, but wouldn't be interesting if someone couldn't be intimidated, if they didn't get social cues. So what if you didn't really get someone trying to intimidate you? Well, who would be that? I mean, someone with autism, some does, does not get social cues. That is one of the uh, disadvantages or maybe advantages. And so that's where part of Noki came from. And I put that a lot in the book. If someone was in your face screaming and telling you and and, and muscling up and, and peacocking and doing everything can, Noki wouldn't affect him at all. That would then, it would almost be reverse bounce off him. And I've seen that happen in real boxing where like, man, I can't, I can't intimidate this guy. And you couldn't intimidate Noki. He wasn't there. That doesn't, it doesn't connect with him. I thought that was such a cool thing. And then that book expanded from there. I put that with my uh, patient who had um, a savant skill when I, uh, or weird savant ability when I was in practice. And then my history of boxing and some other stuff that I wanted to bring together, which you'll read if people read the book. Yeah, because I mean, honestly, I was just like, wow, I can't believe all the nuances that you put in there. Not only because of you put some of the history of boxing. So people who aren't familiar with boxing know a little bit about it. But also you put in all these different dynamics and different relationships, like the fact that Noki is adopted. I mean, you know that right in the very beginning, he's adopted by uh, uh a man and his wife who are uh, like older and having to deal with what he's going to do with later on in life when they're not around. Right. And that's a really important thing is that society doesn't always know what to do. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a conundrum in this book is like, okay, are you using this gentleman to fight? Who's going to use him as a gimmick? And does he have the mental capacity to understand he may be used as a gimmick? And that's important when you finish the book to realize how that was in other stories as well. But um, yeah, no, it, it's a, uh, a, a the screenplay takes that deeper. My son went deeper into that whole story, uh, which is really interesting. He really played off that because he really was intrigued by that. Um, because that's true. A lot of people, you know, that when you're in a lot of people with autism, sometimes you, that's adoption is how they, you know, um, you'll see the caretaker who had adopted them. I've had many patients with that, um, and so that was part of that as well. So Jip, who is the person and his wife who had passed away, you know, they have Noki, and Noki is everything to him. He wants to protect him and then can't protect them because of his own medical illness. That's a really hard, hard thing to deal with. Yeah, and you also brought in the fact that he was, Jip was a white older gentleman and Noki was an African-American and boy yeah. when he was opted in the cross yeah. option that way. I love the way you brought that out. And even at one point when he says in the book, and I'm not giving too much away, but he's like, I don't want to feel like I am using you because you are an African-American man. Yeah. There's a, it's a, it's an important thing because I, in, in no way, uh, uh, did does Jip ever want to use Noki? In fact, he had to teach him to box just to protect himself as well. And also he's a boxing trainer, so he could. And then Noki becomes obsessed with it. And, and that's all Noki knows. And that's all Noki does. And it's a great connection and bond between them two. And luckily, Bug shows up out of nowhere because when medical problem happens to Jip, who's going to take care of Noki? Um, and then the situation arises where Noki chooses to box and there's a way he does that and is he being used and that the, that controversy of okay now there is a controversy is a, is a, a you know he's the adopted father is white and he's you know uh he's black is that is that an issue does that come up and it does come up and i think that it's good to discuss that 
Um, but you know, I think it's more important that someone with with autism, especially as severe as Noki's was, was adopted but and loved by uh, Jip and his wife. So that was a really that's that's important to know as well. Yeah, because I think you basically you took all the different things that made Noki unique in person because everybody's unique in their own way, but you made it into something that wasn't something to be scared of. Yeah, and no, at the I, very I, beginning, at the very beginning, you know, he wasn't shown as in the book, it was like he comes up and he's very quiet and doesn't talk, doesn't talk to anybody. And then you see his growth and development with his relationship with Bug. And so it's like, hey, we don't need to be scared of them. We just need to find a way to communicate on the level that they're used to communicating on. Absolutely. And Bug has that connection. And, and, and yeah, you'll the, the, the growth uh, is really the other characters because just like society, we, we, it's not those with autism that maybe need to always change. We need to be more accepting and stop marginalizing and stop putting limitations. And I think that um, Noki, Noki definitely proves that. I also love, I'm not going to give it away, but I also love the little Super Bowl commercial at the end, what people normally say when they win the Super Bowl. I love that. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. And that was important to me as well. And all that, you, you yeah, that will give it away. So we won't uh, we'll talk about that, but I think it will, what I will say is, again, what you're reading at the end may not actually be what you think you were reading, or maybe it was. There's a mystical kind of a thing here that Noki knows that no one else knows, and it comes around at the end. It's more of a sixth sense or usual suspects moment that should open your eyes at the end like, oh, my, man, I may have to go back and read this again because there's some stuff I missed. So it's, uh, I think it's pretty powerful, um, and I, I, that was a cool part for me as well. So what is up next for you? Do you have any more books coming up or? Um, I am taking a, I, a break. I, I have a, uh, an idea that I may do, but I, I, that's based off of something I used to do. Um, um, what was called that? What was actually called the placebo journal, which is a humorous medical journal. I may, I may do a best of that. I have another idea about something else that I, I'll keep to myself for right now. But the goal is, Number one, love to get this book out to more people because I think um, I think it's a good feeling book at the end. I think it reads quick. It's fun. I think it does portray someone with autism, which is just one person with autism, in a, in a, in a nice manner. Um, I think it should be a popular book, and that's important. I would like to get this into a that screenplay also to the next level, and I have some people trying to help me. If anybody else has a connection, love to hear it. Um, because breaking into that world is next to impossible. My son's been trying for five years and it's been very slow. So that's the only goal I have is number one, pushing this book out there. Number two, really for my son's sake too, because I'd like him to get that industry and his screenplay is phenomenal um, that hopefully we'll get that going too. Wow. I mean, I can just imagine. So do you think you'll have any more, you just said you, you're thinking about some books, but do you, do you think you'll have any more books about other children or other people with special needs besides autism or was it just autism was your love one my connection for that is there so if autism was the one that i i just had this connection with kids with autism and, and i'm not really sure maybe it's the same thing between bug and that's why it was easy easy for me to write between bug and noki and immediately connected because i had that same thing um so yeah i don't think i'm going to delve into that area though we'll we'll see where this 
where this book goes, and then I can I can if I if I wanted to. But um, the, my a singularly focused now that I'm not practicing medicine right now after 30 years, I'm taking some time off and may even be retired. But uh, um, I, I singularly focused on getting Noki read by more people, and then um, hopefully the movie made. So how did you go about getting it published? Because I know that's what a lot of authors that I talk to, they're like, some of them are like, oh, well, we had a friend and they published it for us. But how did you go through that process? Yeah, so I, my first book was um, Placebo Chronicles by Random House and had a literary agent. And I realized a lot of things happened, right? So I had a lot of experiences with that. One, they edit the crap out of it, which is fine. Second, it took forever. Third, once they publish it, um, it, it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall, whatever one stick that somehow the public has more inkling or interest in the rest, like let's say two out of 10 books they published, those other eight books fall by the way. So I did not put that marketing at all. And I realized, you know, we got a little sales and then that wasn't enough for them. And then all marketing was gone. I'm like, okay. I, so I said, you know, so if my next books, I, we, I use, you know, I have a company called Authentic Medicine, which does blogs and sells products. And we use that as our publishing company to do it. So I, so basically self-published uh, because your, your literary agents are brutal to get in touch with. They don't, they don't even open the stuff. Um, and then if, even if a literary agent takes you up, they have to sell it to a, a, a publishing house, which is, they're overwhelmed. And so it wasn't worth it. I wanted this book out there. And so I used my own company, Authentic Medicine, to do that. I don't publish other people's books. I haven't thought about doing that, actually. That may happen in the future. Uh, but yeah, it's a tough world. And so this marketing on this book um, is all through uh, that company, which um, and um, through a PR company as well, because that's what you have to do to market your own book. I mean, there's not no one else to help you but you uh, to get the word out. That is so true. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on today and for chatting about not only your book, Noki, but also about autism and trying to really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Erase some of the stigma around autism and what people in, people in society deem autism people as unworthy or basically not, not good enough to be in regular society. I love the fact that your main character is someone who with autistic with autism that, and that you also show someone that's a, a small person as well, a little person, as part of this community as well. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. I really appreciate you reading the book, and and the, and I hope others would be enjoyed as well. And they can get in touch with me if they go to Let Noki Box. Um, there, you know, there's some videos and some resources there as well called LetNokiBox.com. All right, guys. Thank you so much, Doug, for coming on. And all right. I will put all the show in the show notes, everything that you can get the book and also where you can find um, Doug as well. If you want to contact him um, as always be blessed and remember, keep chatting. Bye. Chats from the blog cabin. Hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode.